I absolutely hate it when I get what I deserve. Now, not always. Sometimes when we get what we deserve, we're like, yes, finally! But not always. Like those moments whenever your chemistry teacher walks past your desk and she's passing out the test, and you know what's coming, right? Because, because you kind of half partially studied while you were watching, um, while you were watching Spider-Man, and, um, and, and, you're kinda, and she lays it on your desk, and your eyes are closed, and you're thinking you could open your eyes, and some miracle of Jesus has happened, and you've gotten an A. But there it is, in a big red letter, F. And you know you deserve it. Or, or, you know, that moment that the mechanic walks up, to the, walks up to the counter and there you stand on the other side and you know that the piece of paper he holds in your hands will determine your financial state for the next several months of your life. And it was just a little thing, like I just glanced at my phone for a split second. It was just like this tiny fender bender and, and barely a little dent and there he is with a $2,000 bill for me to pay. It was barely a scratch. And yet, it probably is exactly what I deserve for doing exactly what I knew that I shouldn't be doing. Or the harder part when those annual evaluations come from your boss at work. And you sit there across the table, a little bit nervous, because you know you've shown up late a handful of times. This year's just been tough, right? I mean, it's, it's been hard to it's been hard to be there. You haven't really just loved it, and you haven't put your all into it. And you know that in this moment, as the evaluation slides across the desk and stares you in the face, it is going to be, well, exactly what you deserve. The consequences for your actions are there staring you in the face. And it's frustrating and it's irritating, but not so much at the person who's handed it to you. It's not the teacher's fault or the, or the mechanics or probably not even your boss's. You look and you think and you reflect. And the person that you're frustrated with most is who? Yourself. Facing the consequences of our own actions is not always an easy thing. And the people of Israel during Hosea's time were about to do just that. Will you stand with me this morning for the reading of God's word from Hosea chapter 6, verses 1 through 7? Come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces, and now he will heal us. He has injured us, and now he will bandage our wounds. In just a short time, he will restore us so that we may live in his presence. Oh, that we might know the Lord. Do you feel that in your soul? As you hear the words this morning, oh, that we might know. Let us press on to know him. He will respond to us as surely as the arrival of dawn or the coming of rains in early spring or very dry October. Oh, Israel and Judah, what should I do with you? Asks the Lord. 
For your love vanishes like the morning mist and disappears like dew in the sunlight. I sent my prophets to cut you to pieces, to slaughter you with my words, but judgments are inescapable as light. I want to show you love. I want you to show love, not to offer sacrifices. I want you to know me more than I want burnt offerings. But like Adam, you broke my covenant and betrayed my trust. The word of God for the people of God. The people of Israel were now living under the reign of Jeroboam II. The, the two kingdoms had split hundreds of years before, and you've got the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Hosea is, is working and preaching in the northern kingdom. And the king there is Jeroboam II. Now, in all pictures of what a healthy country looks like, they looked like a really healthy people because the king was smart. He did a lot of really great things. He made treaties with powerful nations, and so the people of Israel were prospering like never before. There was a lot of good that was taking place. But with that good came a lot of compromise. You see, in those days, part of the exchange between nations Part of their treaty process was that they also, they didn't just share a covenant between each other. They didn't just, just share that they were going to, you know, stay off each other's lands or that they were going to back each other in war. They also, as part of that covenant treaty, shared each other's gods. And so the temple that had been this place that was set aside for the one true God, for Yahweh, for the Lord, then became this, well, this this brothel. It became this, this pagan space with all types of gods because as Jeroboam II went in and he made treaties with this nation and with that nation, those nations would say, all right, let's seal it with our gods. And so they would pass on their bales and the nation of Israel would pass on their god to the people. And in that exchange and in that compromise, something devastating happened. The people of Israel, in those small compromises for what they felt like was going to save their nation, ended up selling their souls. They, they gradually, a little bit at a time, began worshiping these other gods. And as they began worshiping these other gods, well, those compromises grew. We know what that looks like, and we know how it happens. I remember being a teenager, and uh, one spring night, gorgeous spring night, a group of friends and I decided that we were going to, um, well, that we were going to get in cahoots together and that we were going to sneak out of our houses. And so that's what we did. I, my bedroom, uh, we, I had this ranch, and in the front, like my parents' bedroom was over here, and mine was here, and I had this great big picture window. But I was tiny enough to squeeze out the two little picture windows, the two little windows on the side, like the big picture window doesn't open, but the two little ones, they do. 
And so as a 14-year-old scrawny kid, as my clock strikes midnight, I see my friend's car pull up in front of the house, and I get out my window very quietly, sneak out, jump in her car, and she takes me to a friend's. Well, um, there is a curfew, but I'm 14 years old, and I really don't know or understand those things at that time in my life. And and so a group of friends and I, we, we roamed around the neighborhood. We didn't get into too much trouble. We didn't do too many terrible things. We just kind of hung out and, and roamed around in the dark in the middle of the night. And, and I remember walking back home in a part of town now that if I knew my children were walking back home in the middle of the night, I'd wring their necks. But there I was walking back home, and we got up around the corner, and somebody pulled out in front of us and rolled down their windows and started hooping and hollering. And it's dark in the mountains of West Virginia and everything is pitch black. And we have a friend that lives around the corner and so scared we went and woke up her mom in the middle of the night and she takes us home. And we beg and plead with her, please don't tell our parents, please don't tell our parents because we know what will happen. We'll be grounded forever. And <laughs> I'm still grounded right now. And, um, and so we were, we were all in band together. And at the next middle school marching band uh, event, my mother is sitting next to this mom. And I know what's happening. As I play my flute on the marching field, I can see my devastation coming. And, and my mother's face contorts in a million different ways as this story is being told and my heart is racing and I'm forgetting the steps and where I'm supposed to go on the field. And I get home and I know what's going to happen as she walks into my room and she sits on my bed and she looks at me and she says, Rachel Lynette, and you know what's coming. And she lets me have it. It was beautiful, the beginning of... The beginning of summer was just upon us, and there I am stuck in my house for three months, grounded for three long months. But I didn't get to a point where I snuck out in one night. I had made little choices all along the way, a little lie here to my parents or a little lie there, and those lies became easier and smoother as I began to do it a little more and a little more. Compromise sneaks in. You don't just begin telling blatant lies or deceiving people in one fell swoop. It starts a little bit at a time. Small compromises build until you're compromising everything, your integrity. It took a long, long time for my parents to trust me again. It doesn't happen with one fell swoop that we start yelling and screaming at our spouses and children. That, that anger builds up in our hearts and lives. It's, it's one small step in that direction, one, one harsh word to a second harsh word, to multiple, to the point where you don't know how to communicate without harsh words anymore. And your marriage is broken and your family is broken. The anger that is in your heart and life didn't just happen all at once. It didn't explode. It happened a little bit at a time, small decisions, one thing at a time. It's the same way with sex. <laughs> Before you're married and, and, and you think, oh, man, well, we're just, we're just holding hands or, or we're just, just an arm around each. It's just a little... 
and one little thing leads to another, and before you know it, you have compromised your sexual holiness. And this isn't just for our teenagers. Many adults who have been married for years, all of a sudden, one little conversation with a person who seems to pay attention to you when things are struggling between you and your spouse, and all of a sudden you end up in a relationship with someone that you shouldn't be. Those consequences are huge, but they don't come all at once. And for the people of Israel, they didn't come all at once. It was one small God at a time that they placed in their sanctuaries. In the house of God, they brought in one at a time these gods. And as they began to bow down to them, they sold out. I'm sure at first they were a little uncomfortable. They probably walked in and went, oh, this is weird. Like these, these guys aren't supposed to be here. This is kind of odd. And then the next time they go, oh, yeah, this is, no, it's, you know, it's fine. We're, we're doing it to protect ourselves, you know. And, and then eventually they go, well, everybody else is worship. We can just worship all these gods. It's not. And Hosea is living in a time where he knows what's coming next. He knows that the Assyrians are about to come in and wipe out the people of God because God has revealed him, revealed that to him. He's aware that these little tiny compromising steps that they have taken is going to lead to their absolute destruction. God has laid it out before him. They have compromised God's covenant. And now, well, they're going to get exactly what they deserve. Exactly what they've asked for all along. Brokenness. Hurt. Devastation. Injury. Being torn to pieces, as the word says. It was so important that Hosea get this message across to people that he, if you've never read it, last week, so last week we were in Jonah, and we get this whole different vision of a prophet. Jonah's kind of this selfish guy making really bad decisions, and, and he, ends up on this, he ends up on this hill, like, I don't know, like crying himself to sleep at night in his own self-pity instead of, like, standing up and being the man of God that God has called him to be. We end up with a totally different picture with this minor prophet, Hosea. You see, he's speaking to the people of God during a time when the people of God have turned away from God. And he sells out so much to this vision and this mission that God has given him that as you read through this story, it's crazy impactful. You see, Hosea didn't just say, oh yeah, I hear you, God. I hear your message. I'm going to go out and tell your people. God said, no, no, no. Your life is going to be an example of what I'm going to do to these people. Hold on, wait a second. Now, what do you mean an example? Like, I don't know if I want my life to be an example of the destruction you're going to bring to these people. And he goes, oh, yeah, that's exactly what's going to happen. Because I want you, Hosea, to go out and marry a woman named Gomer, who is a prostitute. What? It's in the Bible. You should read it. It's in Hosea. Go out and marry this prostitute. And then... This crazy things happens. This prostitute who Hosea has married births three children. Three different children by Hosea. And God says, you know what? This is what you're going to name your children. 
sorry, and of course, my, I'm, I'm having trouble. <laughs> I'm finding my spot. I apologize. Um, he said, soon afterwards, she became pregnant. And she gave birth to a son, and the Lord said, Name this child Jezreel, for I'm about to punish King Jehu's dynasty and avenge the murderers. How would you like to be named that? And then their second child is a daughter, whose name is Lo-Ruhamah, which means not loved. And after that, you were going to have another child, and, and they did. Lo-Amahi which means not my people. Hosea didn't just preach the word of God. He lived the word of God. God says, go out and marry this prostitute. And in the story, she goes out and she is sleeping with other men and she's becoming indebted through her prostitution. And he is ready to leave her, to divorce her, to end all of this. And God says, hold on just a second. My example is not done. I want you to go love your wife again. I want you to forgive her. I want you to take her back. And not only that, I want you to pay all her debts. Later in the book of Hosea, he tells another story. A story of a father whose son is very, very, very loved. He said, he said, I loved my son so much. And for those of you that are parents, you're going to get this. I taught my child to walk. I prayed for my child before they even became a person. I cared for them. I fed them. I watched them grow. And then I did what parents do, and I, I let them go. But when I let this son go... He turned from me. He rebelled. He broke every promise that we had ever made to each other. Everything that I had ever taught him, he turned away from. And this father shows that he's angry and that he's frustrated. Our father, God, with his son, his people, Israel. And he said, I could have turned away. I could have turned away from my son. But instead as parents do, and as God always does. He forgave him. He turns to his son in forgiveness. And so this people of God, who are now facing the consequences of their very own actions, they're living as a broken people in a broken land, not following after the God to whom they have covenanted their lives. God could turn away. Just like he could turn away from us. For we have compromised. We've broken our promises to God. In this beautiful, intimate relationship that is supposed to be our relationship with the Lord, we've, we've walked away from that. Maybe not in this moment, but you know because in the past it's happened. Or maybe for you it's right now that it has happened. That it's happening. That you see yourself compromising. And then 
God says to his people. This is what I want from you. Are you ready? This is what God wants from us. To show love, not off of sacrifices. I want you to know me. I want you to know me more than I want bird offerings. How do we heal that relationship? How do we, how do we walk backwards? <laughs> Away from the result of our sin? How do we walk out of those compromising situations that we've put ourselves in? How do we do that? We do it by loving. By loving God and by loving others. And how do we do it? We, by, we do it by knowledge. By knowing our God. The Hebrew word is yada for knowledge. Yada. Many of us say knowledge today, and we think, oh, well, if we learn enough, if we learn enough about God, then we're going to be good. We are set to go. Man, we just read our Bibles, pull out the commentaries. If we know enough about God, but that is not what yada means. Yada is the same word that's used whenever it talks about how Adam knew Eve. intimacy that happens between humanity where you cannot get any physically emotionally closer to a person god says that is the knowledge that i call you to with me we become so close and so intimate that you know my thoughts and i know yours that you see my movement coming about and I know how you respond. It's not just about knowing my word, which is an important piece of that, but it's about knowing the very heart of our God, and we don't get that by compromising. We don't get it by compromising our time with the Lord. We don't get it by compromising our integrity. We don't get it by compromising our morality. We get there by giving everything that we are over to the Lord, by loving him and by knowing him. Do you know the Lord this morning? Do you really know him? Is your heart in tune with the fathers? Is the life that you're living today not a life with compromise, but it is a life in perfect unity with our God. If it's not, there is hope. You see, we see in the book of Hosea that God is a God of redeeming his people. Redeeming a people so far lost that they prostituted themselves to other gods. And God says, no, it's okay. I will bring you back to me. So this morning for you, the test has come back. The bill is sitting there in front of you. The evaluation is in. And we now face the consequences of our own actions. It 
Some of us today are even broken, not because of our own actions, but because of the actions of someone else and the consequences that we face because of that. Some of us are leaning on a knowledge of God that is hollow, that is empty. Maybe you sit there today and you may know the words, but you have no relationship with the author. I'm going to invite Matt to come and our worship team this morning as we close in a song. And as they come, if you'll just bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment. Will you you just mentally strip off all the junk today? All of the the brokenness. Will Will you strip off maybe the decisions that you've made recently that have pulled you far from God and far from the people that you love? And will you you come back down to that core, to that very heart of you and God together in an intimate relationship and ask yourself, am I in a place today that truly represents where God wants me to be? Am, Am I truly in a place where where I can continue to to build on my relationship with the Lord? Or is there stuff in the way? Are you facing the consequences of your own actions? Or maybe are you facing the consequences of someone else's actions and you just need a place to heal and to restart and to refresh and to refocus? I'm going to tell you today that this is the place to do that. Don't leave here with that gunk filming up your window of life. Oh, allow God to come in and to heal that. We're going to sing the song, Oh, Come to the Altar, and I ask that you not just sing those words, but that you actually take part in what they're saying. This morning, if you're seeking the Lord, I ask that you come to these altars. You will find the veil is thin here between you and the Lord that that step of faith opens a door for the intimacy in your relationship to occur. Will you stand with me this morning? Will you sing? Will you come? Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you today for being in this place. for speaking and moving in your people. (laughs) You're not a God who leaves us where you find us. Continue, oh God, to draw us to your very heart. May we be your people of love and of faithfulness, of mercy, the people who seek to know you more and more all the time. We love you today, O Heavenly Father. We pray these things in your holy name. Amen. As you go from this place today, may your hearts be lifted with the knowledge of our good, good Father who loves 
and cares for you. May he continue to draw you by the power of his Holy Spirit. And may work be done in your life that leads to love and work in the rest of our world. Amen. You are dismissed.